Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. A Radio Info Raw Edit podcast. The conversations behind our reports. After a very long and successful career as a foreign correspondent with BBC, most recently as the New York correspondent, Nick Wright and his family are now here in Australia and he's uh, just launched a brand new podcast. It's called Journo uh, in association with the Judith Nielsen Institute. Uh, First of all, why Australia? Why Australia? Because it's the lifestyle superpower of the world. And my wife is Australian. My two kids are Australian. They both have emus and kangaroos on their passports. And we really always wanted to raise them here, to be honest. We left Australia when they were very young. We went to live in America for eight years, but always the intention was to come back at some stage. And it just seemed to work for for everybody in the family. The kids were at the right age. My wife had inherited a business here, actually, uh, that she wanted to come back and run. Uh, It was hard to run from afar. And also for me, I mean, I ended up finishing the Trump years. And on the night that Joe Biden was inaugurated, and I was on the inaugural stand. I was about 50 yards away from him as he took the oath of office. I just thought I'd done my dash. I just thought I've covered the most extraordinary political story that I'll ever cover. I mean, if Donald Trump comes back, which is a possibility that we can't rule out, that would be an amazing story, but not as remarkable as his rise and not as remarkable as the first term of his presidency. And I just thought that was a a good time to bow out and as I say, it just worked for everybody to come back to Australia at that stage. I love the story about the fact that that your book, When America's Stopped Being Great, is on Biden's bookshelf. Well, look, when you write a book about America and its current malaise, you know, you really want to have an influential readership, don't you? And, you know, extraordinarily, um, you know, one of my Twitter followers actually saw a photograph of Biden in the Oval Office and she noticed that my book, When America Stopped Being Great, uh, A History of the Present, was right behind him, underneath his son's book, Hunter Biden's book. And it was a small stack. It was only a couple of books there. So, yeah, I I hope he is learning from it, really. Um, And it's odd because we thought he'd mentioned the book, actually, a couple of months ago. I'd been on a show called Morning Joe, a very influential political show in America, MSNBC. And maybe Joe Biden had it on in the background while he was shaving because later that day he referred to what we thought was my book. We were 90% sure it was my book. And then... A couple of months later, we saw the book and actually made it into the Oval Office. Yeah, that was, that was a nice moment. Does that mean that the, the copy of the Australian one, The Rise and the Fall of Australia, is that ScoMo, has he got that on his bookshelf, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great question. Has it made it into the lodge? Has it made it to, into the Prime Minister's office on, on Parliament Hill? I don't know. I doubt it because it's not very complimentary about Australian <laughs> politics. I mean, I always argue that this is a great nation with a pretty average politics. And, you know, I wrote that eight years ago, but alas, I think the thesis still holds up. I mean, arguably the the thesis has really been underscored by recent events. 
It, it's an interesting place to be sitting outside and looking at politics in this country. It can be particularly entertaining at times, and I'm not sure that politics ought to be entertaining. I, uh, I think one of the great problems with it is that uh, it's like journalism, I think, to a certain extent. I'm, I'm not sure that too much that journalists these days don't want to be entertainers more than observers. Look, I think that's a really good point. I mean, presidencies and prime ministerships aren't there for our journalistic entertainment value. And sometimes I think we sort of judge them by that standard. So we say that leaders are boring when actually they're being quite effective, but they're just not particularly good showmen. And I think, you know, we do look for the people who give us entertainment. We do look for people who give us the most interesting storylines. And you know, that was very noticeable in the rise of Donald Trump in 2016. I mean, the, the attention that we as journalists lavished on Donald Trump because we knew it was just an extraordinary story. I speak in my book, When America Stopped Being Great, about how often bias in journalism isn't a liberal bias or a conservative bias. It's what I call a better story bias. We write stories that comport with the stories that really we want to cover. So we really want an exciting presidential race. We really want an extraordinary presidential race. And, of course, when Donald Trump pops up, he was a guy that gave us both. So we, we look at the, the presidency now and we look at what's happening here in Australia and, and look at it. Does it give you a different outlook being outside of having to report on it on a daily basis? I'm really glad to be out of day-to-day news. I, I won't go back into that. Um, that's the end for me in terms of covering news in that manner. But what I do want to do is take a step back and think about things more deeply and look for um, the things that create the political weather rather than just reporting on the weather, giving the weather forecast every day um, or the weather report every day. You know, it's thinking about what makes that weather. And so I'm still going to keep writing. Um, I'm still going to keep thinking. I won't be doing day to day, as I've said, but um, yeah, I, I, I want to sort of take a step back, really. I mean, that's what I did in the book. Um, I really sort of tried, wanted to try and make sense of Donald Trump. And, and that was a 50 year journey um, and a 50 year look back, uh, a prehistory of his presidency. And, uh, you know, I want to take a, a sort of broader look at, at what's happening rather than you know, the nitty-gritty of, of the day-to-day. So the podcast journal that you've started with the Judith Nielsen Institute, and the first episode came out yesterday, and it's uh, about Afghan and the, the Taliban, uh, really interesting to listen to, and I recommend it to, to anybody. It's a, a fascinating situation. How do you see it unfolding in Afghanistan? Well, it's really worrying. I mean, what we report on in the first episode of Juno is how... As international correspondents rushed to Kabul as the Taliban continued its rapier advance, hundreds of Afghan journalists were heading in the opposite direction. When we were looking at those planes taking off from Kabul airport, unfortunately, lots of Afghan local journalists were on board. Many feared for their lives. Many decided to flee the country. And what we've seen is the decimation already of a generation of Afghan journalists that really came to the fore after 9-11. In fact, some of them even got involved inadvertently after 9-11. We tell the story of an old mate of mine, Bilal Sawari. He was selling carpets and antique furniture in a luxury hotel in Peshawar in Pakistan. When 9-11 happened, his hotel was absolutely inundated with foreign journalists. They were looking for people to translate. Um, um, Bilal was Afghan born. So he joined a news team as they sort of crossed the border 
into Afghanistan. And so began this really stellar and extraordinary career. I mean, he really is regarded as one of the best journalists in Afghanistan. But alas, he was told by a friend, actually, in the Taliban, somebody who he'd gone to school with, that his life was in danger and he needed to get out. And somebody who loves Afghanistan, loves their homeland, uh, you decided they had no other choice but to head to the airport and to leave the country with his wife and young child. And we tell Bilal's story and we tell the story of others um, who have left and and people who are still there operating under the most difficult and draconian and authoritarian and brutal circumstances. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. There's a great concern about, of course, female journalists now in Afghanistan. And I think I saw on the news today there's some concern on the, the Taliban now having banned women from playing sport. Uh, and uh, one of the, I think it's one of the tests has now been cancelled with the men deciding that they're not going to play either in protest to it. So the situation there is certainly not going to get any better. Do we really think that the Taliban has changed all that much? They're certainly better at socials than they've been before. Yeah, their media operation is, is, is very slick. It's very savvy. Um, there is a school of thought that thinks one of the reasons why they won the, the war in Afghanistan was because they won the information war. They were just far more agile than the Afghan government and at times far more agile than the U.S. military in telling a story, putting out a story, um, verifying stories. And, I mean, that was something sort of I was fascinated by doing this this episode was to see how sophisticated the Taliban has become and its use of the media. I mean, I reported from Afghanistan in, what, 2003 to 2006. And, you know, it was the new Afghan authorities that really were the kind of the slick media operators. And actually, you know, 17 years on, 15 years on, it's it's the Taliban. And that is quite extraordinary. But, you know, for all their sort of protestations about saying we're different, we're new, we're going to be far more... Um, helpful to the press. I mean, you know, obviously from what we're seeing on the streets, it's a very different story. I mean, we've, we've seen journalists beaten up already, thrashed, um, journalists intimidated. Um, and I think that's going to be the reality of reporting in in the new Afghanistan. So leaving Afghanistan behind for the time being, and as I say, I, I recommend the, the podcast, uh, the first in the series of journals, it's a fascinating listen, and, but looking forward to what's coming up. So what subjects are you, are you going to be covering or you're hoping to cover? I think the next episode is going to be about China and a similar problem, an exodus of journalists um, actually forced to leave by the Chinese authorities. Um, of course, Australia has been bearing the brunt of that. You know, you had Michael Smith of the Australian Financial Review and Bill Bertels of the ABC who were told they, they had to go. And that has been also the experience of a lot of American news organisations like the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the BBC's correspondent, John Subworth, who's done a lot of work about the Uyghurs and these these camps that are run by the Chinese. Um 
he decided that he had to flee the country and he, he dashed to to Taiwan. And what the Chinese are doing now is, is using visas uh, really to sort of put a lot of pressure on international journalists, short-term visas that can be cancelled really easily. Um, I guess in the hope that journalists will self-censor, self-censor, they won't sort of do many reports that are overtly critical of the Chinese government. But as you know, I mean, if you're going to do your job properly in China, you need to report those stories. So we're facing this, this Chinese catch-22 where in order to do your jobs properly, um, actually ends up getting you thrown out of the country. So it, it, that brings me to another question then about about journalism and uh, and the difference between uh, community journalism and social commentators. It's fascinating. Um, and that's actually something we're going to return to later in the series. I think episode four is actually going to be about this very subject, local journalism, regional journalism, community journalism, hyper-local journalism. Um, because it's a real problem, obviously. I mean, I've come from America where, you know, some of the famous old regional newspapers and local newspapers just don't exist anymore. And that vacuum has often been filled by, you know, local people who don't have, you know, high journalistic standards, who often are people who are putting out misinformation on social media, on their Twitter feeds and on Facebook. Um, It's worth saying there are some really great, community radio stations that are absolutely top-notch when it comes to putting out accurate and truthful information. And, and one of the interesting things in the wildfires, for instance, is, is sometimes these community radio stations really come to the fore. I mean, we often think in Australia about the role of local radio from the ABC in wildfire situations, who obviously do a brilliant and fantastic job. But there have been situations, we understand, where actually because the community radio has an even better understanding of of their locale they can actually give even better advice when it comes to road closures for instance or you know they may get the pronunciation of of something absolutely spot on in a way that you know some local presenter in melbourne or somewhere might not and they it's been shown that often you know people are relying on community radio in these wildfire situations and the bushfire situations rather than, than local radio, even though ABC does, does such a brilliant job. It was an interesting thing that happened yesterday. The, the High Court, I don't know whether you saw it, has ruled that news outlets now are legally responsible for comments left on their Facebook page. Now, I don't know whether you're aware, but the, there was a young uh, youth detainee up in the Northern Territory who sued both uh, News Corp and Nine for defamatory comments that were made on their Facebook page in 2018. Now, that's, a, I think, is a very interesting step and an interesting ruling that the High Court's made. How much of a problem do you think that's going to be for news organisations? Absolutely massive. Um, And it's an absolute game changer, I think. And news organisations must have been terrified. Um, I mean, given how much traffic these days comes through Facebook, um, you know, you had this controversy, obviously, early in the year with with Australia uh, in, in battle with Facebook over this very thing. And if news organisations are going to be responsible for the comments left on Facebook, then it's going to be very difficult for them to publish those those stories with that kind of facility to comment, I think, because it's just so hard to regulate and so hard to moderate. Um, and I just don't see how they can do it quickly enough 
to protect themselves legally. So I, the, the ramifications of this, I think, think are massive. They are indeed. Look, th- thanks for your time today. Thanks for your insight on that. I'm really looking forward to the rest of the series, Journo. We hope you enjoy your time here in Australia. You're uh, pretty much out of quarantine and into, into lock-up. So, yeah, I'm guessing you haven't seen all that much, but you're left behind a pretty nice place. I mean, you're in Dumbo in New York, which I, is one of those places I kind of like. I've wandered around there. You know, I've been into Gleason's Gym, and it's the, is it the Jacques Torres uh, Chocolate uh, shop and uh, and down to the carousel. It's a pretty area. Wow, you're making me homesick for New York. That was some of my favourite things about Dumbo. Yeah, I mean, Gleason's Gym is one of the most famous boxing gyms in New York. Jack Torres Chocolate is my my kid's favourite. Uh, the carousel is where we used to put the kids on the carousel on a Sunday afternoon. No, it's it's a lovely spot. But I, I like I said at the beginning, I mean Australia really is something special um, when it comes to lifestyle, when it comes to the quality of life. I'm really thankful for what you said about um, Gino. I'm really proud of it. I think it's it's amazing that the team um, that's put it together has never met. We've never been, we've never been in the same room together. Um, we put the first episode together while I was in quarantine, and um, it shows what you can do these days with technology. But um, even with that, uh, it, it was a big ask. And I think that the team has actually performed heroics in, in getting, you know, what I think is a, is a sort of compelling story onto air. I think you have too. Good look, good luck with it. I really do hope it goes well and um, enjoy your time in the country. And we'll hope you're around about mid-October you get out and get to see a little bit more. Nick Bryan, thanks for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.